It's time for counterculture. Are you tired of how divided we are? Let's find the peacemakers. Think everyone is mean and selfish? Let's talk to those who are helping us all be more loving and caring. Think our culture is going downhill? Let's meet those who are helping us flourish. And now your host, Jonathan Sanborn. Well, hello again. Thank you so much for tuning in to Counterculture. I'm Jonathan Sanborn. Thank, we've just had such a great ride so far. We've been in, I think it's like, this is episode 17. This is a bunch, a 17 bunch of crazy is what I say. But we are so excited. We just feel like we're, we're, we're hitting something that's important. So counterculture exists because we believe following Jesus is countercultural. And the way of Jesus, not just calling yourself a Christian, but the way of Jesus, the way of when he asks us to be a peacemaker. Now, be, today, being a peacemaker is countercultural. When he asks us to pour out yourself for the needy and the poor, that's, that's countercultural. When he asks us to uh, build, to, to, when he was talking to the Roman guards and he, he talked to the, the tax collectors, that's countercultural. And we're called to live in such a way. And so I wanted to highlight the people here in Phoenix and here around the world that are, that are, are stepping in, are, are acting counterculturally, and uh, get to meet them and hear their hearts and their story and uh, have a great conversation. And today in studio, we have Nate Rogers, who is the regional manager for CarePortal. Welcome, Nate. Thank you. Good to be here. Good. We're really glad to have you. So three words to describe Nate Rogers, the complete package. He's got it all. So not only not only is a regional manager for Caraportal, which is a darn cool job. He's been a pastor. He's worked in the tech industry. He's an entrepreneur. He's got a really cool background story, and he's world traveler, which he'll tell you about in a little bit. And he's got a smooth voice. Smooth voice, yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay so say it's. Say say I want you to say something now, just so okay. they get an. Say, okay, I'm following you, boss. <laughs> now you're listening to the sweet sounds of Kenny G. Now you're listening to the sweet sounds of Kenny G. <laughs> oh man, seriously. So if I were to have a heart attack, he could just step in, and his vo- he would he would totally improve the show. That voice, I'm telling you, I I I wanted to go turn on some sweet Kenny G right now, just with that persuasive voice. So no, well Nate, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, pleasure so, to be here. I've never been called just full disclosure the complete package. Normally, <laughs> uh, people go with jack of all trades, but okay. um, I think I think I have a new moniker for I, my LinkedIn profile now. I so like, I like. We'll that. see how that does. <laughs> I like that. Very cool. I think it's it's catchy. Use it, and I've not copyrighted it, so it's all, just whatever you want to do with it. Perfect. Um, so you tell us. About what? Okay, we're look, in what way are you stepping into the role of peacemaker right now? Well, right now, as you said, I'm the regional manager for Care Portals, and uh, my region is this small, little, lightly populated county called Maricopa County. Um, and so it's a pretty big region, pretty densely populated, and. Um, CarePortal is a network. It's a technology platform that manages two different networks, um, a network of families and children and individuals who are in crisis. Um, that's a vast, big network, thanks especially to this year's pandemic. It's been a growing network. Um, and then we connect that to another network, a network of churches in the area who want to be notified when there's a individual or child or family 
in their area that needs help and needs some type of tangible service, um, maybe some goods provided to help get them out of crisis. Um, and so my job is to manage both sides of that network as effectively as mm-hmm. possible. Um, so I'm both uh, working with our agency partners who help connect us to the families, and I work with the churches as well to try to train them and equip them and get them onboarded um, to the network. That's a huge bridge that needs to be built between these these children and family needs that are and these agencies that are meeting help that are there and the nearest churches. Uh, that's a great place to step in, and we can spend some. We'll definitely spend some more time to find out more what that looks like and what that looks like for our listeners. Um, yeah, yeah, and I think bridge is a good word because a lot of what I have found. So I'm a transplant, um, like pretty much everyone else here in Maricopa County. Yeah, um, I moved down here from the Pacific Northwest, from the Seattle area. And, um, you know, one of the unique things about Phoenix is it can be pretty easy to stay in a comfort zone, um, especially if you live a little more in the suburban side of, of the valley. Um, and so really you do need bridges built between uh, probably the life or where the context that you live in and where a lot of the needs are and a mm-hmm. lot of the, the areas of town that honestly you wouldn't really need to go to unless you were intent being intentional about right. it. You don't even know – by now, you even know it exists. You don't. Right. No. Yeah. Um, so before we get into that, your, a little bit of your background, we, have, we like to play this game mm-hmm. called Fake News. And now you are actually an avid listener to this podcast. So, well, at least we've listened to two, which I call as avid. Mm-hmm. So I, I have very low standards. Um, so we play this game called Fake News where you, li- you say one thing that's true about you and something that's false about you in any order. And I try to guess which one's which. Now, Nate is also a dear friend of mine. So, I might, I, so he's going to try to stump me because I do know him a bit. I knew him pretty well. So see if you can stump the Johnster with fake news. So look, so give me two stories and see if I can guess. Okay. Um, two stories. First story, I know somebody who has eyewitnessed Sasquatch. They have seen Bigfoot. I know someone with firsthand Bigfoot experience. Okay. Um, and then the other story is that I have – piloted an airplane over the Grand Canyon. Okay. Now those are <laughs> – so so, so if I say it's the first one, you're implying that the, the Sasquatch exists. And so it actually could show to what degree I believe things about our material world. <laughs> so I'm going to say that the first one is true. You have someone you know who is convinced – and you did – and fake news as you piloted the plane. Correct. You got it. Ooh! I knew it was going to be hard to stump you. I co-piloted, <laughs> I co-piloted the plane. I co-piloted it. Co-piloted Well, that's not bad. Yeah. OK. Yeah. So it just got – the guy said he saw Sasquatch. Yeah. Okay. Sasquatch stuck his hand in through his, his uh, window at his house as a child. Lives out in the woods in the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> yeah. Um, OK. Yeah. I like that. OK. I'll, I will accept that. I, I tend to trust people. I just want to give them the benefit of the doubt. Well, this is a trustworthy person too. Okay. I have no reason not to trust so, this person. Okay. So I'm just going to share a story too that I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I, get, I, I digress. But this was also from a very trustworthy missionary in Africa. And he said he went on a butt, like a bus across the Sahara Desert. And literally in the middle of the Sahara Desert, he ran into – 
the Swedish bikini team. And he said it actually happened. And everyone made fun of him like it's impossible. But he said in the middle of the Sahara Desert, like in Algeria, he ran into the Swedish bikini team. So I, I and I, 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 knowing who he was, like I trusted him. It just, but it was so preposterous. Like it was, like he was, like he was drunk or had too much, like, uh, you know, anti-malarial medicine or something like that. But I don't know. Those are always I default to trusting those stories. Yeah, because yeah. they just it's almost impossible to make something like that up. <laughs> That's true. Right? So, okay, we digress now. What brought you? Tell me, so you you have an interesting childhood that was maybe mm-hmm. non-traditional to maybe the average American upbringing. I think my childhood was non-traditional to the average human being. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> um, um, not to say that there aren't others that won't identify with this, but uh, yeah, I'm a missionary kid. So uh-huh. when I was six years old, my family, my entire family, so it was myself, three sisters, two parents, uh, we packed up and we moved over to Southeast Asia mm, um, and okay. we moved over to Thailand and we moved up kind of to the northeast corner of Thailand. So mm. whereas I think the conventional wisdom is go to Bangkok, go to the big city, learn right. language, learn culture, where there's still a heavy Western influence, um, my dad was not about that. So he just said, nope, we're going up. So we did village ministry, small town ministry. Wow. Um, so, yeah, at the age of six, you know, I, I it was pretty common to walk into a village I don't think I was usually the first white kid they had ever seen, but I was definitely one of the first white kids they ever got to touch. And so they just walk up and grab fistfuls of skin and pinch and rub. Yeah. I mean, my skin color alone was just this attraction. And that's a very interesting experience Mm. to have as as a child. Um, So, yeah. So – I am a I am an America a white American who grew grew up as a racial minority for um, for most of my childhood. Most of your childhood, yep. and so a part your identity is your you see yourself in some ways as Thai, mm-hmm. right? Like culturally and yeah, uh, my wife always jokes around that I'm pretty Thai for a white guy. Yeah, um, so okay. um, yeah, I I actually wound up so after we lived in Thailand for six years for medical reasons within the family, we had to relocate back to North America. Mm-hmm. Um, at that point, my dad found a position um, at a multiracial church um, in Vancouver, British Columbia. It was actually a Chinese church, mm-hmm. Chinese Tabernacle okay. Baptist Church. And one of the most fascinating experiences there is that um, the pastor, the founding pastor, he was bilingual. He could speak Chinese and English, and he could self-translate a sermon from time to time if he had to. And he could just flip back and forth between the two languages. so hard. Which was impressive, yeah. Yeah. So I went from living in Southeast Asia to living in Canada, uh, which is an – own unique culture, right. um, a very heavy Asian influence. Yes. Um, so I was still very much kind of just, yeah, it felt normal for me. I, I was not around a whole bunch of Caucasians. I, I was always, I was always in a very mixed racial environment, or I was the minority racially. Mm-hmm. I was definitely the minority size wise. I'm six sure. four, two hundred and seventy pounds. Yeah, so <laughs> That's I right. think by the time I was. Sp- 10 years old, I was bigger than any uh, Thai, average sure. Thai man that I knew. So, yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. I can, so you're a big white, white guy. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. But you, you still, so on the outside, you, everyone's so obviously a big American, but on the inside, there's still, you're, there's this, you're part Thai. You really are, which is a different, whole different. Yeah. So on the inside, it was, um, 
you know, I was being shaped by cultural forces that, you know, when you're a child, you just don't understand. And so I very much had some grounding in um, in American culture, um, conservative Christian American culture to be a little more specific. Right. Um, but I was getting um, significant influences from Southeast Asian culture. Uh, Thailand is heavily Buddhist, so a lot of Buddhist influence in that culture that was going along with it. Then you move up to Vancouver, which is a very progressive uh, Western North American city. Um, so a lot of kind of those more progressive values were were there. Mm-hmm. Um, and while I remained always within a Christian context, I got to see how uh, Christians changed and, and certain dynamics could change and what ministry looked like in these different contexts. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from Vancouver, I graduated high school there and found myself in about as Americana as it gets. I was in Springfield, Missouri to oh go to goodness. college, which yeah. is just outside of Branson, Missouri. Okay. And um, that, is, that is true Midwest Americana, right. small town college, small college town. Yeah. Um, so I lived there for uh, seven years. Mm. Um, so, so that also pro- – there's probably a sense of culture shock coming to central, like middle Americana. Oh, just to, actually, that was the hardest culture shock I had faced yet. Yeah, um, I was just used to you know Vancouver's a big urban city. Thailand was rural, but obviously a completely world of difference. So to go to a place where um, you know culturally and demographically I was the norm mm-hmm. was actually very weird. Yeah, it, it felt very out of place and very bizarre. I was used to being in environments where. Um, if you identified as a Christian, you were in the very minority. Right. Um, it was not a popular thing to per right. se be Christian, whereas in Springfield, it's the most popular thing right. um, to be Christian. The assumption, um, yeah. Yeah, the assumption was at least, you know. So, right. um, you know, growing up in Thailand, if if a Thai person converted over to Christianity, they, they stood to lose a lot, lose right. everything. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, in Springfield, you had entire businesses putting the Christian fish, fish on because it actually helped your business yeah. <laughs> to identify as Christian. Yes, exactly. So it's just a really just different world. Uh, just again, another big paradigm um, to, to look through. So the word that's a great word, paradigm, because the way. So this, the reason I'm asking these questions is because I think it actually shapes the way you are, have been thinking about and our conversations about peacemaking is that your your childhood and and being from another culture. So tell me, you've tell me that connection between your upbringing and being a, being an outsider, being a minority. Yeah, um, I, I would never go so far as to say what I have experienced, particularly you know in this modern era of of racial understanding. I'm not going to try to equate that to what other races have gone through, both in this country and in other countries. Um, but what I would say is, it taught me uh, as I matured in life, and I looked back retrospectively on those experiences. I realized the value of serving. Um, and doing ministry in contexts mm. that we're not always comfortable to be in. Mm-hmm. Um, and by going into these uncomfortable contexts, particularly to a, a demographic where you needed to kind of understand them. And I wanted to. Like everywhere I went, I wanted to make friends. I wanted to fit in. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to learn like what what is going on here how do I adapt to it? How do I try to keep the core of who I am somewhat mm. the same? But how do I have enough pliability to fit in in these different environments? Right. Um, and I learned that there's just in in the in the 
process of, of doing what Jesus did and following Jesus, um, I think there's immense value to serving and going into contexts that are just really challenging for you. Yes. It's almost like it heightens your senses and you get this awareness of of things that just can't be put into words. Mm-hmm. So um, I'll give you an example of this. My understanding of poverty changed dramatically and continues to change as I get informed by different situations of poverty. So right. I will be I will be the first to always admit um, for a long time, especially in my young adult years, um, you know, like ten years ago. Yeah. Oh yeah. Way back. <laughs> I'm not in the day. that old. I don't know. Um, but way back in the day, you know, I generally equated poverty to laziness. Yes. Right. Yeah. Or to at the very least some poor personal choices. Right. Those assumptions can only hold up against the scrutiny of lived experience for so long when you take them into the cultures and environments where people live in chronic poverty. Right. And right. Not just them, but their generations. They come from generations of chronic poverty. Um, and then really particularly when you encounter a child in that mix because you realize mm-hmm. this child could not, is not old enough to have made a, a bad decision. Right. Life. They're just born they, this. They, yeah. yeah. They haven't messed up. Yes. And then you hear, well, that's how their parents and their parents before them were that way. Well, what so, about the nation? I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's some, it, where does that end? Yeah. Some have entire countries and – um, well, let me just just a little break. Just if you're tuning in, you're listening to Counterculture with Jonathan Jonathan Sanborn. We have Nate Rogers here in studio sharing about his uh, upbringing and his work with Care Portal. Thank you. Yeah. So, so you have so going across to being around uh, people who are in different contexts has really helped inform the way you think about things. It really does. I think I often wonder if. The writers in the New Testament, the apostles who wrote the New Testament, how informed they were by some of the hard situations that Jesus himself put them in. Right. Right. So I think of, you know, I think of one story in particular. Um, it's the story where Jesus is in the house of, of a religious teacher, right? Yes. Um, and it's a pretty well known gospel story. A, a lady who had lived a very hard life and made poor decisions, but probably also just started off life in a hard place, mm-hmm. comes in and she's very broken. And the host had done a very rude thing. He had not washed Jesus's feet. And so this lady comes in and using her own tears and her own hair, washes Jesus's feet. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can look at lots of different details. And, and I think there's an entire point to that story that I'm not going to touch on. I was actually looking at that story. Just think of the apostles. Think of Peter, James, and John, mm-hmm. right? Um, watching this. Right. And John ends up writing a gospel. The story is probably in his gospel. Uh, Peter writes books of the New Testament, goes on to lead the early church. Just think of the awkward situation that Jesus walked them right into, yeah, right? that's right. It's it's the two kind of awkwardness that I think we probably face a ton, even in, in American culture. On the one hand, you have this very religious person who you're probably having to walk on eggshells. Yes. And in this context, we know this religious person was not a fan of Jesus. We know uh, he was part of a group of religious leaders that ultimately would look to put Jesus to death. I think yes. the apostles – at this point, the disciples kind of were dialed in. So that's sure. – that's a challenging, but Jesus is like, no, we're going to go into that environment. We're going to go to the most religious person and we're <laughs> going to share good news with them. And then they have the other end of the spectrum being a very religious society. Um, having contact with this young lady was considered scandalous. Yes. yes. And so here's someone who, to use uh, a phrase that, you know, it's not in the Bible, but uh, probably is accurate, someone that might be considered untouchable. Yes. 
uh, someone that they would have to have gone out of their way um, yes. to to meet otherwise. And she injected herself into this story. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just think of of how shaping that was for the apostles to have to go minister, and Jesus took them into places that were uncomfortable to be in. It was so important. And I think we think of the teachings of Jesus as the way he trained them, but it was also the sending them out two by two into very uncomfortable circumstances where they might even get kicked out of villages and hurt and beat up and yeah. demon run into demons and all kinds of things that they would have to face. That's all part of it. So in your job as regional manager with Care Portal, you're, you're there to make, is it, make connections, right? Yeah. My job, you know, I'm there to help remove any barriers that people might have um, to caring for other people. Mm-hmm. I think one of the key barriers that sometimes sits between someone and, uh, and care, so something that keeps some, someone from caring for a cause or particularly an individual, um, is that they just have not experienced the context that that person lives in. And so maybe they've seen, you know, they've read some stories or seen some videos, some photos, but they've not actually smelled the smells, right. seen the sights, touched and felt the environments and the neighborhoods that these individuals right. grow up in. So when we say, hey, you should care for the widows or the orphan or the disadvantaged, yeah. one of those barriers is that they have not physically sometimes experienced yes. what life is like in that. And right. so uh, I hope remove that barrier. Mm-hmm. And Care Portal is a valuable tool for doing that because Care Portal insists that you don't just serve within the natural context of your life, as important as that sure. is. I'm not trying to undermine that. But it says, no, we're going to go to this family's context and serve them where they are. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can get a, a more immersive service experience. So if you're, if you're wanting to know, Care Portal makes that need in your neighborhood available to the nearest churches. And so you could get in your inbox saying, hey, there's someone in need in, in my zip code who needs this, this, and I can go to knock on their door and bring that to them. Correct. Yep. Um, so most common requested items are beds. Yeah. Beds are really common. Um, Baby items would fall in next, yeah. um, is, which is a whole range from diapers and wipes to strollers yeah. and et cetera. So, and, and when when it's a but and so it's not just some yeah you, if someone needs a bed, but when you knock on the door, you see these kids are sleeping on the floor. Correct. Yep. Yeah. You're you're going to get a chance to interact with that family, even if it's momentarily. Yeah. Um. You know, I've I've done many of these deliveries because my church also participates in this network. I like to bring my kids along. Yeah. Um. I want them to understand that the schools that they go to, the neighborhoods that we live in, uh, we're fortunate. We live in a nice middle-class suburban neighborhood. But I want them to understand not everyone lives this way. Mm -hmm. Um, I think television and uh, movies and stuff do a great job of showing us how the celebrities live. Right, right. That's not a question. We know how the rich and famous live. Right. So I want to intentionally just walk them through the neighborhoods of how people who – are less fortunate hmm. um, live and and teach them that at a young age. But truly, there's no age where you're too late to not learn some of those things and, and to go on those experiences. So, yeah, we might be dropping off a bed, but in that entire process of driving through the neighborhoods, walking through maybe an apartment complex, knocking on the door, interacting with the family, seeing the little kids, um, when you when you go in, very mindful very prayerful, 
the Holy Spirit can teach you mm. interactively yes. as you go do this. Yeah, that's not just something in a, with your coffee reading and or sit, having the comfort of uh, watching your pastor on YouTube. It's it's down to mm-hmm. down to like face to face someone in need. So. So how could our listeners get involved in Care Portal or get their church involved in Care Portal? Well, we'd love, obviously, when an entire church gets involved. So if you're listening to this um, and you're you're a member of a local church, um, you can just go to careportal.org and you can share that website and any resources on that with any church leader that can get you signed up. If you're part of a small group, you can sign up as a small group within your church. Um, you could probably do it with any other type of Bible study groups or anything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's an inherent value to signing up as a group for a care portal, yeah. so you're not serving alone. That being said, if, if you're transitioning between congregations or mm-hmm. you don't have a home church or you just don't know who you would talk to there, yeah. Anybody from any walk of life can go on to Care Portal um, and still help a family through the website. Um, you'll either work through what we call a connecting church um, or you'll be able to fund an item and another local church will be able to do the delivery and drop off that way too. Well, that's exciting. So careportal.org, uh, sign up as an individual or a church to get involved. Thank you so much, Nate, for being here and getting to hear your story and the, some great insight into uh, what your journey and how that's affected what we're doing and what we can do to make a difference right here in Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Appreciate you. Yeah, my pleasure. Okay, take care. Thank you for listening today. Counterculture is made possible by Care Portal, helping local churches help children and families in crisis. Sign up you and your church today at careportal.org.